The only way to change the circumstances of your life, whether it's health or finances, is to become self-aware. If you don't have that self-awareness rich habit, you're never going to change. You're never going to grow and you're never going to alter your circumstances of your life. So self-awareness, I mean, of all the rich habits, and there's quite a few of them, self-awareness is the most important and number one because without it, nothing happens. I'm Dr. Mark Rowe, and welcome to my podcast, In the Doctor's Chair. As a family physician, my expertise is supporting people in the areas of positive health and lifestyle medicine. Join me in conversations that share life lessons, health habits, and leadership practices, focusing on positive psychology, lifestyle medicine, and ways that enable you to live with more vitality on purpose. Appreciating that when it comes to your vitality, that everything is so interconnected. Episodes will air weekly, and you can find me wherever you listen to your podcasts. And of course, on my website, drmarkrow.com. As a practicing family doctor with expertise in lifestyle as medicine, my purpose is to encourage and support you in terms of positive health, personal growth, and all things well-being. As I say, to never stop starting. Each month on a live webinar, I teach learning by doing and learning by being. The why and the how of health enhancing habits, giving you the science as well as support strategies to live with more vitality. I'd like to invite you to join my self development club. To learn more and to sign up, visit drmarko.com. So I'm delighted to be joined in the doctor's chair today by my good friend, Tom Corley, who is really an expert in this whole idea of financial health and well being and rich habits. You're welcome, Tom. Hi, Mark. It's good to see you, my friend. (laughs) Tom, can I start by asking you, just looking back, where did your passion and interest for good habits in terms of financial health and well-being and success come from? I think that the the good habits associated with uh, good health, that's been with me for forever, Mark. I, I remember even when I was 15 years old, jumping rope because uh, I wanted to be a professional tennis player. Yes. And I was close to reaching that that dream. Uh, but we just, unfortunately, we were poor in my family. So uh, that held me back. But I was always um, doing aerobic exercise. Then I got into weightlifting. Uh, and I still do that uh, three days a week. So that's kind of been a habit that I've had forged long, long time ago. Um, the financial habits are relatively new. I, I mean, I it took me doing a five-year study on the daily habits of rich people and poor people to, to I guess, um, emotionalize mm-hmm. smart, smart money habits and poor money habits. Uh, of course, as a CPA and a financial advisor, I could give out and dispense advice about what's, you know, good, good uh, smart money habits and bad habit, money habits. But it's different when you emotionalize it, when it creeps into uh, your, you know, your subconscious, your limbic system, and uh, it becomes part of, of your emotional memory. It sticks with you forever. And that didn't happen until two, until I finished my research. And, and then I had to um, I had to sit back and self-evaluate. Mm-hmm. So I call it the self-awareness, rich habit, rich habit number one. I had to uh, engage in some self-awareness and look at myself mm. Uh, in truth and see what I was doing right and what I was doing wrong. And um, that, that uh, put me on the path that I'm on now, which is the rich habits path. And 
and uh, you know, I don't just talk about this stuff. I live this stuff every day. Yes. Well, of course, actions speak louder than words. And something I'm fond of saying is obviously to know yourself, be yourself and accept yourself. And I think that key idea about self-awareness, Tom, it's such an important idea, isn't it? To really po- press the pause button in your life and really kind of self-reflect and see, you know, what is going well in any aspect of your life and what might go better or what you might do differently. Yeah, it's a, it's a common habit of self-made millionaires for a reason, because the only way to change the circumstances of your life, whether it's health or finances, is to become self-aware. It, if you don't have that self-awareness rich habit, you're never going to change. You're never going to grow and you're never, never going to alter your circumstances of your life. So self-awareness, I mean, of all the rich habits, and there's quite a few of them, self-awareness is the most important and number one, because without it, nothing happens. Yes. And so you did really some extensive research into the habits of people that became financially successful. What I'm really fascinated about is how many of these habits really overlay with the habits of good physical health and vitality, the habits of good emotional health, the good habits of, of, of strong, resilient mental health, how interconnected all these things really are. Would you like to talk to our audience about these habits and what you learned from this research? Yeah. The, yeah. The funny thing is I, I did an interview a long time ago, back in 2013 with Dave Ramsey. He's a, mm. he's like, was the number three radio program in the country. I think he had eight or 9 million listeners. And, um, he he focused entirely on the financial rich habits, you know, the rich habits that surrounded, I guess you call them smart money habits, being frugal, saving, investing, investing prudently and things like that. But uh, the irony is, I would say like 60% of the rich habits have nothing at all to do with money or finances. They mm-hmm. have everything to do with um, eating right, exercising daily, and um maintaining a positive mental attitude. One of the common threads among all of the self-made millionaires was the fact that they had a positive mental outlook. They had an upbeat attitude. Mm -hmm. And then I started stumbling upon study after study that had been done. Some of these studies were 50 years old and some of them were recent, but they all had uh, the same message. And that is, if you want to be wealthy, healthy, and happy, you have to have a positive mental outlook. Uh, and so I remember uh, back in 2011, I, I, had, I had I was struggling with my book, Rich Habits. I couldn't get any traction on it at yes. all. Um, and I actually uh, self-published because I couldn't get any publishers, any traditional publishers to publish the book. So I, now I'm, I'm trying to figure out how to uh, get the promote the book. And I didn't know how. And, and, and I remember we were walking, my, my wife, myself, my son and my daughter, Kirsten, we were walking uh, to the starting line of a five mile run that we do every year at the beginning of of the summer, the Memorial Day run in Spring Lake. Mm -hmm. And um, we were talking and my daughter and my wife almost at the same time said, you are so negative. You, You have been so negative for like the last year. And it stopped me in my tracks. And I and I, you know, my, your initial reaction when somebody criticizes you as a human being is to fight back, right? And, <laughs> and uh, rebut them. But knowing the rich habits and all the research I'd done, I, I didn't. Mm. And I said, uh, okay. I said, and I thought about it the whole race, Mark. Mm. And you know what came out of that? 
I changed my outlook on life. I said, I'm no longer going to allow the frustrations of you know, my Rich Habits book to interfere with my, my outlook. I'm going to just create have daily habits every day to try and promote the book. And that's it. I'm not going to create any expectations, mm-hmm. uh, zero expectations. And wouldn't you know it, like in 2012, 2013, my book started to take off. And then I had to create an ebook on it. And then I wrote another book that took off and became a bestseller internationally, Rich Kids and Change Your Habits, Change Your Life. That became a huge, almost as big a hit as Rich Habits and uh, Rich Habits, Poor Habits with my friend Michael Yarney from Australia and then uh, Effortless Well. So I have uh, since then, I have had a positive mental outlook. I'm hopeful. I'm filled with love. Mm -hmm. Uh, I believe gratitude is the gateway to positivity. So Mm -hmm. I express gratitude almost every day, particularly when I, I feel I, I wake up in the morning, I say, you know, I'm not feeling as mm. upbeat as I normally am. I'll say, well, let's think of three things that went right yesterday. Mm. And then I'll just express those three things. And it kind of makes an adjustment mentally and, and it gets me back on track. And uh, I, I think, you know, that that's been a key to my success in the author world. And, and the, you know, you know, as you know, I do speaking engagements all over the world. And um, the media, uh, the media has been, I mean, I just, just got off of a radio interview in North Carolina. It's been consistent. Uh, I write now for CNBC, occasionally for Business Insider. I have an article coming out on Success Magazine. Fantastic. deals with cryptocurrencies and NFTs and things like that. So it's, you know, this, all of this uh, positive mental outlook work has paid off in, in huge dividends for me. And i you know, I just, I just can't be ha- any happier to be honest with you. I'm, I'm, if I died tomorrow, I would look back on my life and I'd say, a life well done. Congratulations, Tom. Isn't that a lovely thing to be able to think on and, and reflect about? And it's, I, for me, Tom, just listening to that there, there was a lot in what you just said there. I think it's really interesting how when you were focusing on sort of the destination, focusing on the goal of becoming successful with your book and it wasn't happening for you back in 2011, you were feeling quite uh, negative and insecure and you were kind of beating yourself up with criticism and doubt and the inner critic was running riot, as you said, as you said. And then when you change and just focused on the process mm-hmm. of just committing to small actionable steps every day that could maybe inch you that little bit forward, combined with a positive mental attitude, how everything changed for you. That, that's what I heard you saying there. Yeah, yeah. And, and I don't want to confuse expectations with destination mm-hmm. uh, destination is the uh, ideal endpoint mm. it's 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 you create an identity a new identity and uh, that identity might take 20 30 years and that's that's my now my destination is to be JC Jobs who's the main character in my book he's the future ideal version of Tom Corley Wonderful. that's my destination what I changed mark was my expectations. In fact, mm. I got rid of them. I eliminated my expectations. And uh, as a result, I sold like a half a million books around the world. And, uh, you know, I remember my expectation back when I released Rich Habit was, was I'm going to sell a million books and I'm, I'm going to do it in five years. You know how a lot of these mm. self-help experts, among my favorite is Brian Tracy, but, but they, they always say, write down your goals and uh, put them in writing. Uh, you got to be careful there because you need to make sure you're writing down a goal and not a dream. Mm. A dream is not something you you can achieve or realize. 
it's a dream is only something that happens as a result of achieving goals. So you might have one dream, maybe my dream to sell a million copies. It, it's a dream. It's not a goal. Uh, what is the dream? The dream is getting up every day at 4.30 in the morning, reading, writing, and promoting myself to the media, pitching the media. And uh, the writing part every day means I'm getting better at writing. So when I do, when I do pitch the media, and if they do read something, it's excellent because I've been practicing every day. So the practice mm. part is, uh, is really the habit, the daily habit, the process. And that's, mm. the, that's the thing about the rich habits is, is why they're so powerful is they actually create a process. They automate success by creating an automatic process. The habits are processes, automa automated behaviors that you engage in every day. And every, I have an article coming out in like two or three days about uh, it's, it's the process. It's all about success is all about the process. Uh, and most of the self-made millionaires in my study, they all had a process that they were following every single day. And man, many of the daily activities that were part of that process were habits. Absolutely fascinating. And what do you think has been the, the top habit for you, Tom, in terms of your own sort of you know, in terms of your own self-care and your own self-development over the last few years, what do you think has made the most difference to where you are now compared to where you were, say, six, seven years ago? Yeah, I, I, other than the positive mental outlook habit, uh, which we talked about, I would say it was embracing and adopting the growth habits. Uh, I, you know, I have to read a lot. I have a CPA. I think you guys call it a chartered accountant in Ireland. I have a sort of, I'm a certified financial planner. That's another big license that's hard to get. Uh, I have all these other licenses. Well, uh, the way I got all of that is through growth habits. And that, that was getting up at 4.30 in the morning and reading for an hour to an hour and a half. I probably read three hours a day. Uh, but the, in the morning is, is when I have my, my, my time that is unfettered. I, I have no uh, responsibilities or obligations and interference uh, in, in that hour and a half in the morning that I devote to reading. So my growth has been a daily habit uh, that uh, I engage in every day. And I've grown into really, I'm, I'm one of the top experts in, in terms of, you know, wealth and success habits and, and health habits and many other habits. But, um, you know, I, I think it's all because of that, the growth habits that I have relentlessly devoted my life to primarily in the morning. And it's really that commitment to mastery and, and excellence, isn't it, Tom, on a day-by-day -day basis? Yeah, that, that's, that's in alignment with my identity. You see, Mark, I see myself as J.C. Jobs. J.C. Jobs sold half a billion books. J.C. Jobs is, is the number one uh, <clears throat> personal development expert in the entire world. J.C. Jobs helped millions of people rise out of poverty and the middle class. J.C. Jobs helped uh, rescue people who were, were hopeless. That's that identity shift for me has uh, forced me to change my thinking, change my habits, change my behaviors, and change the way I make decisions. Now, whenever I'm faced, for example, with a, a hard decision, I sit back and, I, and instead of acting impulsively, as m many people do, I sit back and think. And I always think, what would J.C. Jobs do? Brilliant. What would the future version of Tom Corley do, basically? Yes. What, 
the ideal future version of Tom Corley do. Yes. Uh, JC Jobs. And uh, I invariably make the right decision. One of the best exercises in positive psychology is this exercise known as the best possible future self, where you envisage time in the future, maybe three, five years from now, and you think, who would you like to be? What sort of books would you like to have read? Courses would you like to have done? You know, what sort of life would you like to be living? And you write that down and you sort of envision that future version of you based on the reality of what you're going to do day by day. It's a very powerful way to build resilience, enhance well-being, build a sense of realistic optimism and uh, reduce negativity and so on. And you really describe that really well in terms of what you've been doing in your own life. Yeah, I, I consider it my blueprint. Mm-hmm. You know, it's my GPS. It's my guidepost. It's the thing that that keeps me uh, moving forward despite all of these things, rocks that are being thrown at me. And uh, I, I love the Churchill had a quote. I'm probably going to mess it up, but it was... Uh, if you stop, if you stop at every dark barking dog, you're never going to get where you want to go. Mm. And uh, I, I think what he's talking about there is, you know, we all face obstacles, hurdles, pitfalls. There's unexpected things that happen that go wrong in life. And uh, if if you allow those things to take you off course, you're never going to get to where you want to go. And so having that uh, ideal identity, that future identity of yourself and embracing it, it acts like a force field. And those uh, rocks that get thrown at you, they bounce off of that force field. They don't distract you. They don't disrupt your life. They might interfere momentarily, but then you, you know, you're back on track. Uh, but they don't, you know, set you off and and destroy your thinking like it did with me in back in 2011. Uh, so I think it's really important. I think uh, the most important thing is to create a future identity, one that is the perfect ideal version of yourself and uh, get clarity on it. And the only way to do that is by writing it down, write down every single thing about the future you, whether it's five years out, 10 years out or 20 years out. And um, and then that becomes your blueprint, your script, your GPS. I can't help thinking back to that day you were going for the run with your with your family and your wife and daughter said, you know, Tom, you're so you're so negative. I'm, I'm interested in how they perceive you now. Well, they, yeah, I mean, it's funny because my daughter, Casey, who's the youngest, she was always, you know, the one that was jumping off roofs that was drinking, you know, at the age of 16. And I said to my wife, my God, we, we, we've got our hands full here. And she has, uh, through my example, and, and I think through the p- people that she has surrounded herself with, she has become my, one of my greatest, Rich Habits devotees. And uh, and one of the things I've noticed about her is what I now have as part of me. And that is this unbridled optimism, confidence, hope, love, and desire to add value to the lives of everyone that she touches. Uh, And and I'm so grateful for that because uh, she has, she would just had was on a video uh, where somebody in the top tiers of her, she works for a really big company and uh, she won this award, a, a national award. And they had a zoom, you know, call on it. And there were 200 people on this and they announced uh, all these attributes of my daughter. And I was like, Oh my God, that's all the rich habits stuff that she fought me, Mark, so hard on, you know, I would walk into her, her bedroom after work. I did this to all my kids, but she was the one that, that I had to surrender 
too. Um, I would sit down on their bed and they would always be like playing with their computer or doing something with their stupid phone. Mm -hmm. And uh, I would just like hop out a few words. Hey, how was your day? What's going on? Anything exciting happened? You know, that kind of stuff. And so after like the third time that I did it, she said, dad, I know exactly what you're doing. Brendan and Kirsten told me you stopped by their beds at night and you try this strategy. I, it's not going to work for me. I'm going to ignore you. And she did. She, Mark, she, I would ask her how she's doing. She wouldn't, she wouldn't say anything. It's ironic that she's become, you know, so such a rich habit devotee. That's the only way I could describe her. She, she lives and breathes it every day. My son, Brendan is the same way. My daughter, Kirsten is the same way. They, they, we all have now, and I, I don't want to say it's all because of me, but, but you, you know, there's something called mirror neurons, which you probably know a lot about. We have them as human beings. Kids have them in abundance. And those mirror neurons are there for a, a reason. It's, it's survival. So the kids have an abundance of these mirror neurons, which, whose purpose is to um, emulate the behaviors, the thinking, the emotions, the decision-making of your parents. Because in theory, the theory goes, they're alive. <laughs> so because your parents are alive, they're doing something right. They're not dead. So if you follow their behaviors, their thinking, their emotions, and their, their decision-making, you're probably going to live as long as your parents. So that's what the purpose of the mirror neurons are. And so I think we set, by what we do, say, think, and feel, uh, our, our kids emulate that uh, to some extent subconsciously. And maybe it comes out when they become adults. And so I, I'd like to pat myself on the back there. I, I'm, you know, I'm a humble person, but I do think... I, I did influence their lives in a positive direction. Well, I think we influence those people around us in ways we can't even begin to imagine. And you're so right. You know, the mirror neurons, that attitudinal contagion and emotion is contagious as well, of course, you know, to several degrees of separation. Tom, can I ask you, you know, a concept we use in lifestyle medicine and positive health is this idea of grateful reframing, you know, looking at, at something that really challenged you in the past, maybe a struggle or a setback. And, you know, just looking at that, you know, how you grew from that experience, what lessons you learned, how it's made you stronger, that sense oh. of, you know, could you share something like that with our listeners? I can. And, and, and it's, it's a, it's, it was a profound uh, life event. I like to call these things life event. Yeah. So I was madly in love with this girl at 19. I was, her name was Chris Avati. She was just the nicest girl, beautiful. And um, a better looking guy came along and stole her from me. And uh, I remember, honestly, I went through such deep, profound depression. It, it lasted months, maybe a year. Uh, but here's the interesting thing. Uh, when things go wrong in your life, you really have two choices. You can surrender mm -hmm. or you can improve yourself. So what I did was, and now this was, I was going into my sophomore year in college. I decided that I was going to become better. So I started really lifting weights a lot, mm -hmm. improve. I was skinny. So, so I went from, you know, 158 pounds to, 185 pounds of muscle, literally in, in a year and a half, two years. Uh, I went from a 3.0 GPA to almost a 4.0 GPA. 
I studied all the time. And by the way, mm -hmm. I was working 20 hours a week as a janitor because I couldn't afford college. So I needed the money as a janitor to pay for my college. So I was doing all of this stuff. And, and I really attribute, I have to thank Chris for, you know, allowing me the opportunity to realize the, the greatness that was within me. And it, that allowed me to improve myself. Uh, I think when you're faced with adversity, you know, the, the, the self-made millionaires in my study, they became better as a result of it. And I became better as a result of uh, a broken heart. Mm. I channeled all of that negative emotion into productive things. And uh, interestingly enough, uh, I remember, uh, fast forward, I, I just finished taking the CPA exam and I knew I passed. And uh, my wife and I had just been married and we were in our um, con condominium that we had just purchased like a, a six months before that. And um, I walk in, I was coming back from New York after taking the exam and I walk into uh, my condo. It's probably about 4.30, 5 o'clock, something like that. And who's standing in my condominium with Chris Abadi? She had driven up with her friend, who was my wife's best friend from Washington, D.C. And all of the negative emotions I had surrounding that experience in my life, it magically lifted away. And all I had was love for her, mm -hmm. you know? And, and, and I looked at her and I looked at my wife and I said, not too bad, Tom. I did pretty good. And uh, I, I remember that. I'll never forget it. It stays. It'll stay with me. It'll be on my deathbed. And was there a, was there a spark for that moment? You know, because obviously you had a broken heart and you were really suffering for a while and you were only 19 years of age. And, you know, obviously you weren't emotionally that mature at 19. Who is? Right. Um, was there a kind of a, a spark that said, right, I'm really going to focus on self-improvement and looking at my grades and looking at my my physical strength and so on? Mm -hmm. Yeah, there, I mean, I have to say there was a month, the entire month mm -hmm. uh, where I was in just massive depression and I I started really lifting weights on my on the top of my garage as a way honestly to to eliminate the pain I was feeling mm -hmm. momentarily. Mm -hmm. And and then of course when I was done lifting weights I was depressed again, but I noticed that while I was engaged in that physical activity of lifting weights, I really wasn't as depressed. I felt focused on lifting. You know, I don't want the thing to come crashing down on my chest. Right. Sure. So uh, I, I forget about Chris for a moment, moment in my depression so I could get the weights up and not kill myself. So that kind of helped that I started do, do, running and, mm. and, and lifting weights and, I started reading a lot. I took mm -hmm. out the dictionary more once, uh, you know, that we, we kind of broke up, if you want to call it that. Uh, I, I took out the dictionary while I was lift, starting to lift weight. I was just trying to do anything to take my mind off of my depression. And I started studying words and I started writing down words I wanted to know and wanted to speak. And I did that for the entire summer. And I really grew my vocabulary that, you know, that way. So I, I honestly, I, I won't say that it was a spark. It was more of a desire to to momentarily um, occupy my mind so that I could avoid the pain. 
that I was feeling at the, at the time. And I suppose, you know, going and talking to somebody like going to a counselor, or going to a therapist, that wouldn't have been really as much of a done thing back then, was it? No, I, you know, no, I had friends and, and they, they were help, weren't helpful. You know, yeah. they, they, they just weren't. They were like, get over it, you know, stop being a baby. And, uh, you, you know, I was, uh, and the irony is there are certain songs to this day that I are embedded in, in emotionally into my memory banks because of what happened. It's, it's amazing what happens to, when, you know, when you're brokenhearted, you're, you're the emotional energy that you have is incredible and uh and and it and you know the the strongest memories we have are emotional memories so i remember almost everything about that summer and and that's why it was probably smart to start studying words because i remembered so many of those words because i had all this emotional energy and emotional energy there's a willpower energy and there's emotional energy right Mm -hmm. willpower energy is driven from uh the 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 neocortex, the outer part of the brain and the prefrontal cortex in particular, the emotional energy, it, it's, uh, it comes up from uh, the deep inner part of the brain, the limbic system primarily. And, uh, you know, the limbic system is part of the subconscious mind. It's part of the, the lizard brain, I guess, if you will, that the brainstem. <clears throat> Been around millions of years longer than the, the neocortex. And so the, uh, you know, the, there's, it's more evolved and more powerful. And it, that's why the emotions are, are there because it's got the capacity to manage the emotions. And uh, so, so if you can tap, if good or bad, good emotions or bad emotions, if you could take that, that emotional energy and channel it, and, and while you're going through the emotions into something that allows you to grow, you'll, you'll have the best recall mm-hmm. ever because the emotional memory is form. I think what's great is that you channeled your pain and your loss and your setback into something positive. In other words, rather than hitting drink or drugs or so on, you went for exercise. And you know, there's so much evidence now that strength training and of course aerobic exercise brings on what I call the biochemical cocktail of brilliance, brings on all those positivity neurotransmitters, dampens down feelings of stress and anxiety, lifts mood. I mean, the Duke study showed that it can be just as good as antidepressant medication in many cases. Exercise, really, I call it the greatest pill of all. And then that became the springboard for you, learning about words, reading, developing yourself, you know, working on your... So it really was the start point for you, wasn't it, in many ways? It was. And, and I didn't understand the neurology back then, who, who would at 19, but I do now. And what I was actually doing, Mark, was artificially boosting my dopamine levels through exercise, through reading, because the brain loves to learn. The brain is like a sponge. It loves to learn and it rewards you when you learn with a boost in dopamine. And so I had all of these positive neurochemicals that were flowing into my brain at the moment when I needed them the most. And and that's the important uh, lesson, I guess I'd like to pass along to everyone is when you're going through something horrific, a death, a breakup, a heartache, whatever, whatever it is, heartache, that those negative emotions are an opportunity for you to productively channel the emotional energy in a way that allows you to become uh, better Mm. and improve yourself and grow. 
so as, as horrible as the life event, the negative life event that you're experiencing might be, uh, understand this, there's an abundance of emotional energy and it's not, it's the time, it's the time to, to, to do something productive because you'll never have as much energy as you do during those emotional ups or downs. But I think you've made a very good point there that, you know, we should never try and suppress emotion and, you know, feeling sad at times, feeling stressed or anxious, even even angry, guilty, all of those, you know, frame of, of negative emotions. They're all part and parcel of being human, but they don't define who you are. And you can learn to deal with these emotions, accept them as being part of your life's experience and, and, and grow from them and move on. And as you said, right. channel, channel your energy into something more productive and take action yeah. to get yourself into a better place, whether that's going and talking to somebody, talking to your doctor, talking to a therapist, taking up a new course, exercise, whatever it is. Tom, can I ask you at this stage in, in your life, how do you define success? So, well, success mm. isn't one thing, right? Um, and, and I recently wrote an article on my website about this. There's, I call it choose your success. So there's a, there's a number of types of success. There's financial success. There's health success. There's relationship success. There's career success. There's, you know, happiness success, meaning having mm-hmm. a right mental attitude and being happy and, and calm and, uh, you know, not, not being stressed out. So there's all these different types of success. Yes, I like that. And um, and 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 my my point is, choose your success. What is the success that you want? Do you want to be healthy? Then choose that success. Uh, do you want to be wealthy? Then choose that success. Do you want to have an enormously strong and valuable relationships with your family and your friends? Then choose that relationship success choose your success now you can have more than one success you know it's um it's easy to to choose three or it's not easy it's possible to choose three or four or five different types of success at the same time it's hard to do uh but you know you, you like i have chosen health success and the pursuit of wealth success and building strong relationships and helping society I'm the president of the Ashley Lauren Foundation. We help uh, families who are struggling with pediatric cancer. So we Mm. give, if they're, let's say, whenever you're going through this, sometimes it costs you a lot of money. So we'll pay their mortgage, we'll pay their bills, whatever. That's wonderful. What's what's the name of that foundation again, Tom? uh, It's the Ashley Lauren Foundation. Uh, And and we do so much good. And and when you see, not not a lot, half of these kids don't make it, unfortunately, Mm. but and we, and we end up spending our money on funerals. But um, half of the to- ones do make it. We have one, it's not a kid anymore, but one of the kids that we help their family stay in their house, uh, the, he was uh, so impacted by his cancer that he became, he became a, uh, an, um, he, f- he became a doctor and now uh, he, f- he focuses on cancer research. Isn't that wonderful? And um, yeah, yeah. So, really? so we, you know, my, my point is that, I, that I'm mm. choosing that success, which is adding values, adding value to the lives of others and trying to improve the lives of other people any way I can uh, with whatever resources I have, financial or time. Um, 
Well, you know, or emotionally. So, you know, that I, that's the success that I, that's one of the successes that I've chosen. Well, I think it's wonderful to give to others. And I really think that success is, is, is a team sport and it's about helping as many people as you can along the way. Uh, I think really makes a big difference. Tom, I know you're a very resilient person. Can you give, give our listeners three take homes for a resilient mindset? Yes, I think um, one of the things that feeds resilience or persistence is having an unshakable belief that you are going to become the person you, you desire to become. Uh, when, when you have that identity that I talked about, when you have that identity, that future ideal version of yourself, that, you, that when it becomes your identity, uh, it, it feeds, the, the, it, it, it reprograms the subconscious mind and also the conscious mind. And uh, it starts feeding you with intuition in the form of people you should be reaching out to, uh, things you should be doing, and uh, things in your environment. You know, one, one of the interesting things is there's something called the uh, thalamus and the reticular activating system is part of the thalamus. And it's like a gatekeeper that, that uh, RAS, a reticular activating system. What it does, if you can visualize yourself in a uh, airport and there's all this noise, it just becomes like a buzz to you. It's just noise. Uh, and then somebody says, hey, Mark, and you turn around. That's your reticular activating system opening up the gate to the environment and allowing external sensory information in. Well, when you have that, when you create an identity of the person that you want to be, it opens up that reticular activating system gate into the thalamus, which is fed directly into the prefrontal cortex through ner nerve fibers. And uh, it makes the, the prefrontal cortex aware of this external thing. Uh, and this thing might be an opportunity. It might be a person you need, you know, you need to talk to. It might be anything that's important to, to the subconscious in this respect. You've reprogrammed the subconscious to believe you have a, you're going to be somebody that you're currently not. And the subconscious mind now says to the thalamus, uh, oh, let the RAS open up. This is important information. We need this external uh, environmental information to come in because it's going to help us get from point A to point B. Uh, so I think the identity is, is really mm -hmm. important to persistence. Mm -hmm. I think creating or bullet pointing all of your dreams and then building goals around those dreams are important. And the last thing I would say is surrounding you with people who are, are, are pulling the same cart. Uh, and because when you're down, those people can lift you up and say, keep moving. Don't worry. This is just a, an obstacle. It's just a, a you know, it's, it's a momentary thing. We'll get through it. And they can lift you up emotionally when you're down. So having surrounding yourself with the right, upbeat, optimistic people pulling the same card, you call it a team. Uh, that's critical to success and, and per persistence, perseverance and resilience. Thank you, Tom. And, and finally, for you, what's the meaning of life? I believe it's love. Mm -hmm. I'll add freedom, love and freedom. Mm hmm. The human condition, the greatest superpower human beings have is the enormous capacity to love. And in this environment that we're in, we've just gone going through this pandemic, there's so many negative influences, fear, you know, there, we, we, there's a disunifying 
thing that's going on. Uh, these are bad things. It's, it's, it goes against the human condition. I, there's a lot of black hats out there, Mark, that are f- feeding us with fear, mm-hmm. anxiety, worry. Then we have nothing to fear. We have nothing to worry about. We have an enormously powerful immune system. Uh, you had never had anything to fear. But, um, you know, the, the, the fear mongers out there, uh, the black hats, I like to call them, they, they distracted us. And now we're getting through this and we need to return back to love and the desire for freedom because those are human conditions. That's what makes us human beings, love and freedom. Well, I think that's a wonderful way to end our podcast. I'm reminded of Martin Luther King who said, you know, darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. And hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. Tom Corley, keep leading and loving. Keep inspiring and encouraging others to take ownership of their habits, their health, their financial success and overall well-being. Thank you, Tom, so much. Thank you, Mark. Thank you for listening to my podcast, In the Doctor's Chair. For further resources to support you to live with more vitality, please visit my website, drmarkrow.com. 